Labyrinths is brought to you by Knox Robinson Productions. Please consider becoming a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you can listen to Labyrinths ad-free. Visit patreon.com slash Knox Robinson to learn more. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Labyrinths, brought to you by iHeartRadio and Knox Robinson Productions. I had just broken up with this guy that I had dated for two years, and I was pretty heartbroken. I'm a waitress. I'm 30. I was just like, oh, my God. Hmm. All my family is in Florida. I was really down, very down. I talked to my sister, and she said, I think you should move back home. Go back to school. Mm -hmm. Get your doctorate in something in psychology because I was really interested in and I thought about it and I thought I think that would make me feel worse Hmm. like giving up it was a real soul searching moment for me because I woke up and I was like oh my god my life is not turning out the way I was hoping it would Feeling lost? Then you're in the right place. I'm Amanda Knox. And I'm Christopher Robinson. And this is Is Labyrinths. Hey, listeners. We're working on some really thorny and adventurous episodes for our upcoming season. Some truly life-altering stories. In the meantime, if you're just joining us, please go back and check out our first season featuring interviews with people like Andrew Yang, Malcolm Gladwell, Yasmin Mohammed, John Ronson, and more. But today, we've got a special treat for you. The voice you heard a moment ago was Emmy-nominated actress Cheryl Hines, who you may know from HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm. How We Connected is a little mini-labyrinth of its own. So I do a podcast with Tig Notaro, Tig and Cheryl True Story, We watch a documentary and then we talk about it, not necessarily in a um, professional way. (laughs) (laughs) We're ridiculous people, and we end up talking about some of the um, sillier things in documentaries, like what were they cooking? Sure. But we were so taken with your story and with who you are that we talked about that for a long time. In their episode covering the Amanda Knox Netflix documentary, they did their usual flippant thing. But rather than get snarky at them for making light of the worst experience of my life, I decided to reach out, genuine and friendly. 
And then you reached out and then we had you on and people were like, oh my God, I can't believe (laughs) you guys got to talk to Amanda. So it was pretty amazing. It was great being on your podcast, by the way. I thought you were so sweet and nice and genuine with me. So I appreciate it. Well, no, I we loved having you on. It was a good lesson in the power of giving people the benefit of the doubt. And it led to a great conversation. So much so that we invited Cheryl to come over to our neck of the podcast woods. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and talk to us about any labyrinthine story that you might have up your sleeve. What stories do I have? I know I probably should have come with a... uh... (laughs) Well, we definitely did some research, but in case we just wanted to ask you if you had... (laughs) No, well, tell me what you know. I mean... Well, we we saw the clip from Swamp Thing that you posted on Facebook. (laughs) So good. So good. Yeah, Swamp Thing. So listen, that was my big break. So I grew up in Florida. I went to college in Florida, University of Central Florida. And the only thing they were really shooting in Orlando at the time was Swamp Thing, the TV show. And I really wanted a role on Swamp Thing. Like that was my... (laughs) Were you a fan? (laughs) No, not at all. I couldn't care less about Swamp Thing, but I felt like, oh, this is the only thing shooting in town. I have to get a part on Swamp Thing. You may not be familiar with the 90s comic book inspired TV show, Swamp Thing. Let's fix that. An attempt on his life left Dr. Alec Holland consumed by fire and deadly chemicals. The swamps of Louisiana transformed him into a superhuman creature known as Swamp Thing. Now this muck-encrusted mockery of a man protects the innocent from the diabolical Dr. Arcane while fighting to rid the swamp and the world of the evil that men do. Beware the wrath of... So at the time, I was working at Universal Studios in Orlando, and (laughs) it was a big deal for me because I auditioned with literally over a thousand people, and I got this part in the studio tour where they had an Alfred Hitchcock sort of presentation, and my role was to reenact the shower scene from Psycho. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I had to dress, I had to dress in a flesh-colored bodysuit with a wig on and then I got stabbed in the shower with a rubber knife from a an audience volunteer. It's the most ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> it was crazy, but I was so grateful to have the job. But yeah, that's what I did like 12 times a day. Yeah, so you you were just professionally dying. <laughs> that's right. That's what I did. 12 or 13 times a day. I would just die in the shower scene. Wow. Uh, so I got a, an audition for Swamp Thing and I was very excited and I do all my work and I'm ready for the audition. I go and I don't get it. Mm. And I was very disappointed. And then a little while later, I get another audition for Swamp Thing and I'm like, okay, this is like make or break for me. And I audition, and I don't get it. (laughs) And I get another audition, the third audition. I am like, okay, seriously? This is it? (laughs) If I don't get this, I probably need to quit acting. I audition. I didn't get it. (laughs) And I was so down. I talked to my sister, and I was like, 
maybe I'm not a good actress. I'm <laughs> like, what am I doing? If I can't even get a role on Swamp Thing, maybe I should just stop acting. And she said, yeah, I think you should. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that is not the pep talk I was expecting. <laughs> and she said, no. She goes, you have picked a career where most of, you know, a big part of it is rejection. Hmm. Like you're not going to get 99% of the things you audition for. And if this is making you so upset, then maybe you should find something else because you can't Hmm. walk around every day so upset about somebody not casting you in Swamp Thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. So I decided to change my attitude about not being cast in something and just really trying to enjoy the process and and enjoying the audition and being grateful for having the audition and not attach my self-worth with if I got the part or not. Mm-hmm. And then, lo and behold, I got another audition for Swamp Thing. <laughs> and I nailed it. And I got the part. Hey, hey. And it was a great role. It was better than the other roles. And but so who was your character in that Swamp Thing scene? Well, I'm glad you asked. I was a scientist who was very versed in cold fusion. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, if you ask me what that was right now, I would not be able to tell you. I'd have to Google it first. And for whatever reason, I killed my stepfather. I pulled the plug while he was in the hospital. And the heart monitor was beeping. Uh huh. And then... Later in the episode, I kept hearing the beeping. Stop it! Ah, the like telltale heart, the the guilty conscience. It was totally telltale heart. And then at some point, I have a gun on the other scientist. I'm about to shoot him. Oh, I really wanted you to give it to me, Anton. I kind of liked you in some perverted sort of way. Stop it! You know your father's habits. I know his science. Together we can. Louise. And I keep hearing the beeping, and it kills me. Literally. So, like, you died of guilt? Yeah, so I died, and I said to the director at the time, I was like, I'm not exactly sure what I'm dying of. (laughs) You know, it will inform me of how I actually die in this scene. Yeah. And he was like, look, we don't have time for this. Just (laughs) Just die? (laughs) Yeah, he was like, just clutch your heart, stagger around. And then die. And I was like, sure. Yeah, I can do that. And then the best part of that episode was, I mean, really, the very best part of the episode was after I'm there on the floor, Swamp Thing walks in. The Swamp Thing walks into the living room. He also hears the beeping. And he realizes that it's the smoke detector, <laughs> low on batteries, <laughs> and unscrews the smoke detector. Wow. So that was- Masterwork. Yeah, you guys. Wow. That's what launched it. 
And at that point, I felt like, okay, I'm ready for LA. I mean, when LA sees my swamp thing, <laughs> my phone is going to be right off the hook. So I, I packed all my stuff and I moved to LA. And I know it's hard to believe, but people did not call me after they saw something. <laughs> no agent called, uh, no manager, no casting directors. So I started um, bartending at a hotel downtown in LA, the Intercontinental Hotel. And actually, that was the time when OJ Simpson was on trial. Okay. And all the jurors were sequestered at the Intercontinental where I was working. Oh, intrigue. It was pretty crazy. So did you get any inside insights into what was going on? We weren't (laughs) allowed to talk to them. They were on a floor that no one was allowed to go to. Hmm. But if you walked outside, you could see one of the jurors had etched in their window, help me. Oh, God. (laughs) It was crazy. And at that time, I had done bartending and waitressing, and I was very valuable at the hotel, as you can imagine. (laughs) And they said, we want you to pack a bag to stand by because when the verdict comes out, we need you to drive to the hotel and check in immediately because it's going to be so crazy here, the workers are going to have a hard time getting to the hotel. Oh, wow. So for me, it was a big deal because I think that was the first time I stayed in a very fancy hotel, one that I worked in. (laughs) 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 But I had to order room service and I was like, oh, who's fancy now? Right before I went to do my shift at the bar. (laughs) But yeah, it was a crazy time in LA for sure. Can we take you back to 1996? Mm-hmm. And the dating game? Oh. <laughs> yes. Since you know that it all started with Swamp Thing, and you know the disappointment that when I moved to L.A. and my phone wasn't ringing, then when somebody did say, hey, do you want to be on the dating game? I was like, yeah, I need some airtime. Hobbs. Get me on that show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure when people see this, they're going to be calling. (laughs) Yeah, so that was a a weird one. But honestly, if I had to go back in time, I'd probably do it all over again. (laughs) Because I'm that kind of person. Totally. I like games and I like game shows. I wasn't picked, which was fine. How did they not pick you? Who did they pick? They picked a girl... I can't remember what he liked about her, but something about her really spoke to him. Was she on Swamp Thing? (laughs) No, she was not on Swamp Thing. What's weird is if you won, then you went out of town with this strange guy. It's kind of weird to think about. (laughs) No. That's the thing that you win. (laughs) Like, you don't get to choose. There's just a guy. Yeah, there's a guy who wants to go out of town and stay in a hotel room with you. I know. It's creepy to think about now. It's like, yeah, is that okay? But yeah, there were no tears. There were no tears when I wasn't picked. I can tell you that. Needless to say, her dating game appearance didn't launch her career. She remained a waitress, a bartender an unknown girl with a dream. There's a strange irony in this failed dating game appearance. For when her big break did come, it would be through another type of dating game. 
and auditioned to be the TV wife of a strange, strange man named Larry David. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning in. This podcast can only exist thanks to listener support. So please consider becoming a patron. Visit patreon.com slash Knox Robinson. From working at that hotel, I met one of Phil Hartman's sisters. Hmm. She came to the bar. We started talking and then she said she wanted to go to the Groundlings Theater, this little theater on Melrose, because that's where her brother, Phil, got his start hmm. in improv and sketch comedy. Hmm. And I was like, well, I want to go to the Groundlings Theater because I want to do sketch comedy and improv. So I went to see a show the first night I had off, and I fell in love with it, with the people. You know, it's very silly. <laughs> It's a very silly place, but also really smart people there. I mean, hmm. this is where Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy, people like that got their start. But you can't just go there and start performing. There's a school and you have to go through one level and then they decide if you get moved to the next level. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to take classes there, but I couldn't afford it. At that point, I was living in a, an apartment that didn't have a refrigerator. And that's all I talked about at work. So for my birthday, all of the regulars and the wait staff chipped in and bought my first class at the hmm. Groundlings Theater. Aww. Yeah, it was pretty. That's amazing. sweet. That's so sweet. It was pretty amazing. And then my first teacher was Lisa Kudrow. Wow. Yeah. Fun. What was she like as a teacher? She was amazing. She is a very smart person. And she's also very funny and she's very sharp. I would go to class just like, oh my God, I'm being entertained for four hours by the most talented person I've ever met. She was actually on Mad About You at the time. Hmm. Interesting. And then she got friends. So... It was fun for me to watch her in class. And up until then, I, I always thought when you go into an audition, you should be on your best behavior. Okay. You know, good manners and mm -hmm. do the script the way the script was written. And then I watched her and I was like, she's not doing that when she goes into an audition. She's like bringing her thing. Right. She's having a good time. She's making herself seen. Yeah. 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 So it was fun to see that and to learn from that. The lessons she learned from Lisa Kudrow were put to the test when she got a call to audition for what was then a one-hour HBO special, Curb Your Enthusiasm, an absurd twist on the real-life misadventures of Seinfeld co-creator Larry David. I was doing sketch comedy, and the director, they wanted an unknown actress to play Larry's wife because they wanted to blur the lines of reality and sure. scripted. And there's no script. It's all improvised. Mm -hmm. So somebody saw me in a show and brought me in and they were like, there's no script. Don't touch Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Be his wife, but do not touch yeah, him. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and they said, just be very natural and real. And that was all they told me. Weird. They were like, all you know, all you know is you've been married to him for a while and you don't put up with his bullshit. And I was like, 
Okay. Okay. So (laughs) I met Larry that moment in time. And it was one of those things that was interesting because we just clicked immediately. Hmm. You know, sometimes you meet somebody and you just, I don't know, your worlds were meant to collide, I guess. And they offered me the job that day. Amazing. If you haven't watched Curb Your Enthusiasm, you should. It has 47 Emmy nominations for a reason. It's hilarious, provocative, and the best kind of awkward. And from the beginning, Cheryl was an integral part of what made the show work. Larry David's character is either a hero or an asshole, depending on who you talk to. But what's unquestionable is that he's abrasive and blunt. Cheryl is the perfect foil to Larry's misanthropy. And in true meta fashion, they discuss this very relationship on the show, as in this scene from season 10, episode one. You know what it is? What? I think when I'm with you, it makes me feel better about myself. Morally superior. Yes. 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 I I hear that a lot. I'm not perfect, but at least I'm better better than than you. I can relate to what you're saying because I don't don't feel that way with it. People, I, oh, I feel that way with animals because they're generally so stupid and I can, especially insects, I can crush them. Curb Your Enthusiasm changed Cheryl's life. The show premiered in the year 2000 and it's still going. Does your role on Curb Your Enthusiasm impact your day-to-day life now? Do people <laughs> confuse you well, it, it, or it, Cheryl? It definitely <laughs> did, especially at first, because I was completely unknown. And when you were watching the show, there were real people on like Jerry Seinfeld and Richard Lewis. And you knew that those guys, that's who they really were. And Larry David's name is Larry David. So that's who he is. So people just thought that I was Larry's wife. And also because I used my real name, which was confusing to people. Hmm. (laughs) Because yes, if I had married Larry, I guess my name would be Cheryl David. I I went, early on, I went into an audition and the casting director said, oh, you're an actress as well? (laughs) And I said, as well as what? (laughs) And they said, oh, as well as being on the (laughs) the reality show with Larry David. And I was like, oh, First of all, it's not a reality show. <laughs> and second of all, I'm not married to Larry David. <laughs> so yeah, there have been a lot of times. Where, I mean, still today, I mean, the show has been on for 20 years. <laughs> 20 years. Uh, Jeez. And there are still people that think I'm married to Larry. Really? But now I think a lot of people know that I'm not. But every once in a while, I'll see people in the airport and they'll come up to me and go, where's Larry? First of all, I don't know you. And second of all, I don't know where Larry is. (laughs) But it's confusing when people come up to you because they know my name. Yep. Tell me about it. (laughs) I know. It has to be confusing to you, right? Just to know that so many people know who you are. Well, I mean, it's there's another version yeah. of you yeah. Yeah. in the world, right? It's so. actually strangely parallel to the Foxy Noxy Amanda thing. Mm-hmm. There's this yes. fictionalized version of Amanda that's out there in people's minds that has very little to do with who Amanda actually is. And you have that same sort of thing through Curb Your Enthusiasm, right? Yeah, I don't know that I'd say the same sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) But in my case, fortunately, you know, it's a 
silly situation. It's a, it's a comedy <laughs> with Larry David, and we're talking about should you take your shoes off at somebody's house if they'd like people to take their shoes off or not. <laughs> that causes a big fight, and then everybody ends up screaming at each other. But to know that people in your situation is also on a world scale. I mean, the world knows who you are, and they also think they know who you are. And then they also, I'm sure, come up with their own story of who they think you are. <laughs> I just don't understand how you process that. How do you process that? <laughs> how, do you, how do you live with uh, that? Do people come up to you? Do strangers come up to you and tell you what they think of you? Oh, sure. Or is it mostly online where people hide behind a screen? It's mostly online, but I've definitely had the experience of, like, you know, going to the checkout counter and having the person who has to, like, scan my credit card be like, I have a few questions for you oh, about your interrogation. My. And they're, like, holding on to my credit <gasps> card. <laughs> oh, my God. And then what do you say? Um, I mean, it depends on the situation. I mean, how do you get out of it as quickly as possible with the least drama? is the calculation. Yeah, so, and then poor Chris. Like, talk about going to the airport. When Chris and I go to the airport, I'll be in the middle of a conversation with him, and people will just come up and, like, intervene and pretend he's not there and and start talking to me. It's crazy. That is crazy. Usually in those scenarios, it's someone who has a very positive sort of loving reaction like, Uh oh, my God, my heart went out for you. I just might. This is the one chance I'm going to ever have to to tell you that I'm glad you're home and you're safe and whatever. Mm. And it overwhelms them to the point that it it makes them rude. But it's coming from like a nice place, I guess. So you can't hold it against them. So. It's complicated. It's complicated. And it doesn't leave room, really, for you to have a bad day or mm-hmm. right? bad travel experience. Well, because then it ends up on Twitter or whatever, right? Right. A man in Ox was a jerk to me at the airport. Right. How do you grapple with it? Well, once again, mine is almost always positive because I'm on a crazy comedy. So I'm lucky. But also there are times when, you know, it's tough because I remember I was in Utah maybe and I got a call that one of my best friends had died and I had to fly home immediately and I just could not stop crying on the plane Hmm. and you're just so aware that you're having this private moment in a very public way. Mm. Whereas if I was just somebody who wasn't in the public eye, it would be strange enough, right, to sit next to somebody who's crying the whole plane ride. That's weird and uncomfortable. (laughs) But when it's like, oh, my God, is that the lady from Curb Your Enthusiasm? She's so sad about life. What did Larry do to her? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're like... Larry must be beating her. Yeah, they're like really wondering what's happening. So it's hard to have a private moment. But after 20 years in the spotlight, Cheryl is pretty comfortable being herself. That ease is one of the main appeals for me of her podcast with Tig Notaro. Which you wouldn't think has anything to do with Curb Your Enthusiasm. But you'd be wrong. You know what we just talked about the other day? Did you see the documentary Long Shot? Mm-mm. What's it about? No. So there's a documentary called Long Shot. There's a guy in Los Angeles who was accused of murder. Juan Catalan, that was his name. And there was an eyewitness 
that said they saw him. And the guy, he said, I was at the Dodgers game with my daughter that day. Hmm. And they said, we know it was you. We're arresting you, putting you in jail. And his attorney said, well, wait a second. If you were at the Dodger game, then do you have a receipt? He didn't have a receipt. He paid cash. I think they did find the ticket stubs. And and the attorney went and he was like, so this is where he would be sitting. Was the game televised? They went through all the footage of the game to see if they could see him. But they weren't great seats. They were up Hmm. sort of away from where any camera would be. And it was really tragic and sad. Yeah. Hmm. And, And the opposing attorney really wanted the death sentence. And she had not lost the case at this point. And his attorney kept asking him, was there anything interesting about that day? What stood out? Anything, anything. And he said, well, there was a camera crew there. I don't know what it was, but I just remember they were annoying us because I was trying to sit down and I couldn't sit down. And lo and behold... (laughs) Curb Your Enthusiasm was shooting that day (gasps) in Dodger Stadium. No way. And so the attorney went to Larry David and said, can I look at your raw footage? This guy did not commit this murder and he's sitting in jail right now. And Larry was like, well, it's not what we normally do. And I don't usually like for people to look at uh, my raw footage, but yes, okay. But I guess. Yeah, I guess. I guess I will let you. So they looked at the raw footage from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Lo and behold, they saw... Juan and his daughter in one of the shots. Oh my I mean, it was a game changer. Everybody was elated because, oh my God, he's telling the truth. He was telling you guys. What the heck? I mean, (laughs) and of course, the documentary is kind of funny because what they were shooting that day was so ridiculous. You know, (laughs) the contrast. What was it? Oh my God. Well... Larry wanted to use the carpool lane to get to the game. Oh, you should see the traffic. The only thing moving is the carpool lane. I'll never make it. I'm just going to go home. I'm not going to use the carpool lane by myself. Well, that's the difference between you and me. All right. Goodbye. Hey, Daddy. You want a date with Mama? Larry glances at the heavy traffic, at his empty passenger seat. Get in the car. So he hired a hooker. I remember this. Yeah. <laughs> so the hooker, played by Kim Whitley, I think, they get to the game and she says, can I watch the game with you? I've never been to a Dodger game. I've always wanted to go. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so he watches the game with the hooker. Perfect. That's what that episode is about. Yeah. So just it was just like... um what if, right, he didn't go to the game that day? Mm-hmm. And what if Curb Your Enthusiasm wasn't shooting that day? And what if 
he wasn't standing there with his daughter waiting to sit in his seat. Right. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. The fact that you would just be minding your own business, shooting your comedy show, and lo and behold, it actually has life or death consequences for this total stranger that you don't know. Right. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Hmm. But they ended up suing, I guess, the police. And got, I don't know, $300,000 or something. Mm -hmm. But he was in jail for six months. And as you know, more than anybody, what is that time worth? Mm -hmm. I mean... Especially when you don't know what's going to happen to you. Like, a lot of people will say, well, six months is six months. And it's like, well, six months of feeling like you're going to die in there. Right. He also said, too, and once again, you can relate to this more than anybody, that he just couldn't believe that he was in that situation mm-hmm. and he kept thinking, oh, well, people will find out the truth, but that might not be for 20 or 40 years or something. Yeah. yeah. Especially if they're not looking for it. <laughs> right. That's a crazy story. <laughs> it's a pretty crazy story, right? It is. But so is Cheryl's own story, going from Tallahassee and dreams of Swamp Thing to real television success. But the real Cheryl still seems to have her roots in those humble Florida beginnings, something she brought to her acting in another show, Suburgatory, a sitcom about the darker side of suburban life. We were watching some clips from Suburgatory the other day. And your character, Dallas Royce. Mm-hmm. What a great name, that, by the way. <laughs> that voice and character you take on is so perfect. Is it easy for you to like put that on, put that sort of attitude and that voice on? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, my mom is very, very Southern, and she likes to walk into a room, and she says, Cheryl, when you walk into a room, stop in the doorway, frame yourself with the door frame so everyone can take you in. <laughs> and she has told me that. And so, yeah, it's my mom. I channel my mom because it's like, do you really do that? <laughs> and she does. She'll stop. If she walks into a party, she'll stop in the doorway so people can take her in. How wow, that she, is old school. How does she feel about you channeling her for that role? Oh, she loved it. That's what's crazy is when I did that part, it was really fun, but so ridiculous. <laughs> Very concerned about how she looked and Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. I got to work out every day so I can look good, so I can feel good. And my mom was like, finally, you're playing a role of a decent human being. (laughs) (laughs) Because on Curb, she's like, well, I don't understand the show. I don't think it's funny. You need a makeover on the show. (laughs) And I'm like, ah, I don't think I'm going to get a makeover on Curb Your Enthusiasm, Mom. Uh, She says, well, you... You look frumpy. You just do. (laughs) So that's how she measures all of my acting roles with, do I look frumpy or not? Hmm. So she loved Dallas Royce because she never looked frumpy. (laughs) (laughs) That's so sweet. (laughs) It was really fun. In any time in this long journey to where you are now, when have you felt the most like unanchored and lost Mm. and really just unsure if you took the right path or? That's a good question. When I, like I said, when I moved out here, I didn't have an agent and I didn't have, I was so far from 
where I wanted to be when I turned 30. I mean, I'm still living in a one-bedroom rent-controlled apartment in West Hollywood. I didn't think I'd ever get married, which was fine. I was never like dying to get married. I wasn't one of those people that was like, oh, if I just got married, things would be fine. But I had just broken up with this guy that I had dated for two years, and I was pretty heartbroken. I'm a waitress. I'm 30. I was just like, all my family is in Florida. I was really down, very, very down. Mm. And once again, I talked to my sister and she said, I think you should move back home, go back to school, Mm -hmm. get your doctorate in something in psychology, because I was really interested in, and I thought about it. And I thought, I think that would make me feel worse. Hmm. like giving up. So I decided, listen, if the worst thing that happens is I stay in this rent-controlled apartment by myself in West Hollywood, I never get a paying acting job, but I can still do theater. I was doing theater, which brought me a lot of joy. I wrote a play, which brought me a lot of joy. I decided I would rather do that than not try. But it was a real soul-searching moment for me because I woke up and I was like, oh, my God, my life is not turning out the way I was hoping it would. Mm. And it was after that that I decided to just stay on my path to keep working really hard and to just keep trying and to try to find my happiness where I could. Hmm. I can't wait until I'm cast in something to be happy, till I'm making a living as an actress, that's when I'll be happy. I decided I can't, that can't be my goal for happiness. Yeah, I needed to find the happiness that was in my life because what if my life doesn't change from this? Once I made that switch, it was much better for me. I was a happier person. Hmm. Yeah. I appreciated my friends more. I appreciated the projects that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then once I started performing at the Groundlings, I felt like, wow, I've made it. Hmm. These are the people that inspire me. I have a creative outlet. I'm doing exactly what I want to do. I mean, I would like to be able to pay my rent <laughs> doing it, but okay. <laughs> that time in my life, it was really tough, but also I grew from it. Totally. What is that phrase? Like, do what you can where mm. you are with what you have now. Yeah, that's the that's, truth, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't wait for happiness. Yeah. Can't wait for that one thing. Mm-hmm. No, there'll always be another thing too. Yeah. As soon as you get that thing, you're That's looking right. at the next thing. That's exactly right. Yeah. What is the next thing for you? Well, I'm trying to think of what I can talk about. That you're allowed. Yeah, that I'm allowed because it hasn't been announced. Mm. I hope that's intriguing. Well, maybe give us like an enigmatic sentence and people will just have to be curious. Um, If all goes accordingly, I'll be directing a very interesting project. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) All right. Cool. All right. (laughs) So there. Congrats. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. This has been really lovely. I had so much fun with you guys. If you're ever in Seattle, please do come and have dinner with us. I will. 
And the same. I mean, I don't love making dinner, but I love taking you out. <laughs> Next time you're we'll in make, we also We'll cook. make dinner at your house. We can make dinner that? at your house. Oh, I like that a lot. <laughs> Perfect. Done. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for uh, having me. Well, thank you. And hope to talk to you yeah, very thank soon. thank you. Okay. Bye, guys. Cool. Great. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time to meet Obi Anthony, Amanda's exoneree twin, who was released from his wrongful imprisonment on the exact same day as Amanda. In the meantime, we're going to take Cheryl's advice and not hang our happiness on a five-star review, but... Ask yourself, What would Swamp Thing do? (laughs) (laughs) Defender of the innocent. Reviewer of podcasts. Get lost with us. Find us on Twitter. At Amanda Knox. At Man Under Bridge. And if you want to support our work directly, check out our website. KnoxRobinson.com. Where you can find out how to access exclusive subscriber-only content, like monthly Q&As with us, and our fiercely silly debates over important moral questions, like, can you scold other people's children at the zoo? Are you morally required to? Indeed. This episode was written by us, edited and sound designed by Chandler Mays, with theme music by Josh Budo Karp. Our executive producer is Holly Fry. Labyrinths is brought to you by iHeartRadio and Knox Robinson Productions. This is the part where there's a little Easter egg, usually. Yeah, I mean, what if there was like a, you know what would be good? The beep, beep, beep of your um, War of the Encyclopedists video. (laughs) (laughs) Or could the TiVo scene go here? The TiVo scene? I don't think so. No. That's that's too much. Probably what should happen is we'll talk about how there's a little Easter egg moment. And then... And then embarrassingly... There won't be. There won't be. (laughs) But the Easter egg will be this meta moment of us talking about it. Interesting. I don't think we're good enough at improv to do curb your enthusiasm. I mean, we already did it. It's over. (laughs) You've just heard it. This was the Easter egg. (laughs) Hey, it's Easter. Oh, wait. When is this coming out? (laughs) I don't know. After Easter. (laughs) These aren't the ads you're looking for. These aren't the ads we're looking for. This podcast is listener-supported. This podcast is listener-supported. Visit patreon.com slash Knox Robinson. Come on, boys. Let's visit patreon.com slash Knox Robinson. (laughs) 